Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What a day it has been for the NFL news cycle. Alex Barth, Evan Lazar, Patriots Beat Podcast. We're going to talk Trent Brown coming back to New England. We're certainly going to talk about all the tag news today. But I obviously wanted to start, Alex, with Trent Brown. Left tackle, right tackle, whatever you want to call him at this point. Tackle. I mean, I just, just, just tackle. He's not just a swing tackle. tackle just he's a tackle. tackle. Good point. That's part of the discussion, right? I think that's honestly... Yeah. The most fun part of this discussion is, is he a left tackle or right tackle? I'm right sure we'll get play. into that. I'll let you give your take. But that, that to me is, I mean, no more rumors, no more. I saw somebody on Twitter compared it to Twilight with the Brady and Belichick and the narratives. We have actual X's and O's football to talk about. Evan, I am stoked. I love it. And I love the domino effect that this move has on so yes. many different parts of the offensive line. And you know me, I woke up this morning, saw this news on my phone that the Patriots traded to get Trent Brown back. And I was... By the way, excited. how about the Patriots? How about Bill making a trade at like six o'clock in the morning? Right? You couldn't have right? waited until I like woke up and got some coffee <laughs> in my system, had a shout shower. Shout out to Ty know? Anderson from 98.5 who was up taking a leak and caught it for us. So we got it up like on time. Yeah, no, I, I was definitely late to the ball game. Uh, I need my morning routine. It's very important to me. But regardless of that, I woke up this morning, was very, very excited to see that Trent Brown was coming back to New England. This is a guy that I think really took that next step into dominant category with Dante Scarnecchia in 2018. I know Scar isn't here anymore, but he was always a very good pass protector, Trent Brown, even going back to his days with the 49ers. With the Patriots, they really honed in that run blocking, his timing, his footwork, his ability to get underneath guys and drive them back off the line of scrimmage. We saw so many flashes of him dominating guys in the running game that I wasn't necessarily expecting when they made that move to trade for him the first time. So the second time they bring him back, I think the questions that you have are starting at the tackle spots. What does this mean for Marcus Cannon and Isaiah Wynn, who I would put into a similar category of has something to prove at this point of his career entering his fourth season. Can he stay healthy? They have that fifth-year option decision that they have looming here in the next couple of uh, months they have to decide on. That's going to be a really interesting domino to fall as well. I think immediately, though, what you see is that Trent Brown and Isaiah Wynn are probably your starting tackles. Joe Tooney's probably leaving. And then Michael who's probably sliding inside to that left guard spot. I also have a take on where this might, what this might mean for where the Patriots' offense is headed in 2021. But I think from the domino effect of who's going to play where, 
would you agree that the most likely scenario is win at left tackle, Brown at right tackle, on when who inside the guard, and then we figure out something with Marcus Cannon's contract and go from there? Yeah, it's not what I would do. I think that's probably the most likely thing. Like, let me dispel a couple things I saw today that were frustrating. Isaiah Wynn's not kicking inside to guard. Yeah. It's not big enough or strong enough. Like, his whole thing was athleticism. They tried a smaller athletic tackle. And I'm not going to say that didn't work, right? The issues were injury-related. It's not that he physically wasn't up to it. But he's not playing guard. That's not going to happen. Second of all, I, I'm seeing people think that there's some desire to keep Michael Onwenu at tackle. And I understand it. But as good as Michael Onwenu was at tackle this season, he was damn good. But as good as Michael Onwenu was... At, at tackle, he's better at guard. That's where he should be long-term. That's how you get the most out of the player. It's the best return on the investment. You know, if he has to move out and play tackle in spots due to injuries, you know, it's it's a good thing to have. Versatility is right. never a bad thing, but Isaiah Wynn, tackle. Michael Onwenu, guard. Let's, and by the way, Isaiah Wynn, left tackle. He's not yeah. moving to the right side. He's a left tackle, so let's not put people out of position. Let's keep that in mind. The thing I wonder now, and you kind of talked about the, the future of the Patriots offense, and this ties into that. Isaiah Wynn's fifth-year option comes up on, on May 3rd. That's after the draft. That's right after the draft. Right. So what is, you know, is Trent Brown took less money, and it seems like he really wants to be here. Is there an extension there? You know, do they draft somebody? Again, like if you move on from – all three tackles right now are year by year is basically what it comes down to to me. And if it's me, I just think, you know, in terms of asset management and the salary cap and all of that, I get moving on from Cannon and saving that money. And you don't know what he's looked like. And he certainly is a wild card. But he was capable last time we saw him. He was a starting caliber NFL right tackle. If it's me, I get what I can for Isaiah Wynn, hold on to Cannon, use a premium pick. doesn't have to be the first round. It is a strong tackle draft, first three rounds. Go get a tackle, ideally a guy who can play either side. And then you develop him, and then next year, you know, you kind of figure out what you're doing with one of those two guys or somebody else in free agency, and you have this other tackle who's been in the system, and instead of your rookie tackle being on a one-year deal, like Isaiah Wynn, you reset the clock with four years with whoever you take this with whoever you take this year. Yeah, and I wrote about this, and we've talked about this, how great of a tackle draft this really is. This tackle draft goes 10, 11 guys deep, right? You can get a guy like Taven Jenkins possibly in the second round from Oklahoma State, maybe even the third round with some of these guys because of the depth in the class, and get a starting player maybe on day day two, late day two, early day three because of how deep they, this draft is at tackle. I think on top of that, you mentioned Michael Onwenu, why he's a guard, why wins a tackle. I agree with you 110% with that point. Michael Onwenu, at times last year, what I saw with him was that the foot speed and the length did come up in certain situations trying to block guys on the edge. I think the foot speed mostly came into into play when they tried to get him out into space. And if you're going to run to the right side off the tackle, or you're going to throw a screen in that direction, or you're going to try to move the pocket in that direction, or whatever the case may be, you have to have somebody that's going to be able to move around. So they basically were a team that because my 
Michael Onwenu was their right tackle, they used that crack toss play a whole lot because they didn't want the tackle to have to get out in space. That sort of limits you how you can go that way. You're not going to run outside zone to the right side when you're when your tackle is really a guard and he's 360 pounds. So that that's I think a big part of why he fits better inside is because real quick because you mentioned the sauce, I want to mention this. Right, you talk about maximizing your assets. Yeah. And, and Matt Chatham brought this point up this morning. Michael Onwenu next to Trent Brown at left yeah. tackle and left guard. Oh boy. That's a lot of Oh power. boy. Ten yards to carry, Evan. So I wanted to, I wanted to talk about that too. And I mentioned this and actually Chatham was the one that threw this out there as well. You, now Trent Brown's here on a one year deal. So you're not going to say that the next, the offense for the next 10 years is necessarily going to be like this, but you do not, acquire a player like Trent Brown to run a outside zone bootleg scheme or run a scheme that's moving the quarterback around and moving the pocket a whole lot and trying to get the runs out on the outside. That's not really that type of player and neither is on Wenu and neither is Shaq Mason necessarily. So I, I think what you are seeing by getting Trent, Trent Brown back is that they might be thinking that their guy is going to be a pocket passer. Right. I, I don't think they're thinking yeah. that their guy is going to be a, a, somebody that's going to be throwing outside the pocket a whole lot if that's going to be your offensive line. And one of the things it's never sexy when you get an offensive lineman. Right. But it's always great for a young quarterback to be able to have a, a line that can protect him and keep him upright. So many quarterbacks throughout the course of NFL history. I mean, Andrew Luck and David Carr are kind of like the two poster children for this. But so many other guys have come have gone downhill in their careers because they don't get protected well by their offensive lines and they get hit a lot and they're under pressure constantly. And that's not a good way to to usher in a rookie quarterback. So if the Patriots are going to go quarterback in the draft and that's going to be the guy that they're going to go with, then it's definitely a better thing all around to have them protected. And this is, it shores up what I think could have been an issue if they had lost Joe Tooney and they didn't really bring in somebody like a Trent Brown to replace that, those snaps that Michael on when played at right tackle, you're really relying on Marcus Cannon a whole lot to come back and look like the same guy after a year off and to be able to be somebody that could start there. So I'm glad that they made this move to shore up the offensive line because we, and we don't know that this for a fact, but whether it's Jimmy G or Marcus Mariota or Mac Jones or one of those types of players that is going to stand in the pocket a whole lot, they have that guy protected. And that's arguably just as important as who he's throwing to at this point. Yeah, I mean, I've got to say it certainly helps the Jimmy G case, right? Yeah. If you're talking about health and keeping the quarterback upright, you, again, the Patriots are going to have one of, if not the best offensive lines in the league this year. I don't yeah. think there's any doubt in that. They've had it for the last couple of years. They'll have it again this year. But, you know, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. And Matt Dolliff wrote this for 98.5thesportshub.com this morning that you're probably looking at, you know, a more stationary passer, a more reactionary runner. It doesn't have to be a guy, you know, you can still get a mobile quarterback, but a guy who's going to be more of a reactionary runner. I'm you telling know, you right now. Like a Trey said, Lance. Right. Maybe like a Trey Lance. But if you get a guy back there that wants to scramble, and this is not Cam, it's not necessarily Trey Lance at all either. But if you're getting a guy back there like a Zach Wilson who wants to yeah. run around a little bit, Trent Brown's not the answer because he's going to be 380 pounds. He's going to be looking around. Where's the quarterback, right? And, and the quarterback's moving around in circles behind him. That's not going to work. So I think that that definitely does open the well, door. Well, so a what does bit that more. mean, I guess, for Jimmy? Because we know Jimmy likes to run around. 
A little bit, but I think Jimmy is still your a guy that's going to stay on his spot for the most part and get the football out, right? Yeah. And, and I think Mac Jones is certainly that type of guy. So if they're thinking about that, then you also need to realize that, okay, he might be very good at moving inside the pocket. Mac Jones has some of those qualities. I don't want to compare him to Tom, but he's some of those qualities like Tom Brady where he can move around in the pocket and make guys miss in tight spaces, but he's obviously not a mobile quarterback and he's not an athlete that's going to get out in space and, and create with his legs so you have him protected now in both tackle spots you have him protected up the middle that that's a really key part I think to all of this as well is that they are sounding like and pointing in a direction where it does feel like that they are going to be the typical Patriot offense right the typical two and a half seconds and out Tom Brady, quick passing game, get the ball out, read the field quickly, and that's your Jimmy G's, that's your Mac Joneses, that's a little bit of your Mariota types. That that's not these other types of quarterbacks that maybe we throw around for the Patriots in the first rounder. So, so it's not Cam Newton. So Cam has never been a high-level scrambler. He's always been a great designed quarterback run guy, right? QB reads, QB options, things like that. But Cam has never been broken play Michael Vick, right? Right, but he's, he's throwing. Not- he wants to throw out of the pocket. Exactly. He wants so out, does, of, out of the pocket. No, inside the pocket. I would say more so with Cam. Well, I, I there were those no because the broken plays last year. There some of his best plays were on broken plays where he was extending things. And I guess maybe that's different than scrambling initially. It's but just, it's never been statistically. It's never bared out to be his game. Right. He's never. So, been, you, so this move team doesn't put him any less in play. Not not into my not. Okay. A, I think, honestly, and I, I know that this is going to pain you, but having a guy like Trent Brown and putting, you know, 700 pounds of, of size on the left side, that sounds like the team that they had last year, right? That's going to be a smash-mouth football team that's going to come right at you. That that sounds a little bit more like Cam Newton, honestly, right. than, than something else, if anything like that. So I think the, the next couple questions that we're getting here, we're getting a ton of questions about Isaiah Wynn. I, I understand why that's a hot topic with this move. I think the biggest question that I have at this point is can the Patriots get something for Isaiah Wynn to make a trade worthwhile? Because like I said, I love this tackle draft. I love Trent Brown. So I'm not totally out on trading Isaiah Wynn if they can figure, if they can actually get something of value back for him. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think unless he's willing to kind of take a reserve role, because again, I think we don't know what Marcus Cannon is, but Assuming he was the guy, he, he is the guy he was in 2019 and he's going to stay healthy more importantly. Then I think Isaiah Wynn is the third tackle right now. He also, again, is not necessarily a fit for this offense. It seems like they're building. And I don't know that, you know, you're not going to get a massive return for Isaiah Wynn, right? Isaiah Wilson no. got traded yesterday. He was a first round tackle. Granted, he was only picked a year ago and there's a number of off the field issues. That was a seventh round pick swap. So I look at Isaiah Wynn as probably a day three pick. You're probably looking at like a fifth or sixth round pick. If you get a fifth round pick for Isaiah Wynn, you essentially got Trent Brown for nothing. Right. So that's not the worst thing in the world. And it's more about opening up that roster spot. And like I said before, I'm all for having a developmental tackle on the roster. And by the way, I've seen people mention Yadni Kajus. I've seen people mention Justin Heron. I think Justin Heron, I really like Justin Heron, but he's a swing tackle. He's your Adrian Waddle, third tackle. You can plug and play him when you need to. And I don't know what – you're a big Yadney guy, so I'll let you speak more to that. I don't know what we're expecting from Yadney Kajus at this point. But having a true, you know, developmental starting tackle on the roster I think is valuable. 
I don't think Wynn's that guy. I don't see him as a long-term fit in New England. Not that he's a bad player. I just don't think he's a fit for what they want to do, the smaller, more athletic tackle. So if you're the Patriots, you can trade him, open up the roster spot, dip back into the draft, and then you have that tackle on a four-year rookie deal instead of a one-year rookie deal with the potential $10 million fifth-year option coming back to get you next season. Right, and, and to be clear, I'm not expecting anything out of Yanni Kajus. I love okay. his tape as a prospect at West Virginia. He protected Will Greer really well when he played left tackle there, and he's got pretty much everything that you look for in your prototypical tackle, right? He's got the size. He's got the length. He's everything Isaiah Wynn isn't, right? He, he's got right. all those measurable boxes checked. He's got good feet to play tackle. He's got good hand strength and upper body strength to, to control guys and control engagements or move them in the running game. So he's a bigger tackle. He's a he got great size. He's got great foot speed. He's got everything that Isaiah Wynn doesn't have from a measurables and, and from just a, a prototype standpoint at that position. And like I mentioned, there's a lot of guys, and, and I think that the Patriots are you know, they don't have Scar anymore, but I still think that they're uniquely equipped to develop that position. Justin Heron and Michael Onwenu, two sixth-round picks last year, they took those guys and made them okay, right? Onwenu was right. great. Heron hey, was re- real quick, you get you get a little emotional with that Trent Brown Instagram with Scar with him high five. I I, I felt a little something. Right. I did. Well, I felt a little it's, something. It's great to have that guy back. You know, he is a giant of a man. I mean, I know we've all seen that picture circling around of him next to Mike Reese, him next to Aaron Donald, you know, an actual football player standing next to Edelman. Yeah, he is by far the biggest guy that I've ever been around. You know, I mean, he is just an absolute mountain of a man, and he can move for a guy that size, and he's so powerful off the ball, and he's really explosive off the ball, too. But back to the tackles in the draft really quickly before we we move on. Yeah, you got a couple people asking about Darius. I know that's your guy. Yeah, Darius has a beast. He's going to be a first-round guy, though, right? You're taking him at 15. If if you want him, that's where you're getting him because he's not going to last much longer than that. So some of the guys that I would look at in the draft are more developmental guys, someone like a Dylan Radunes from North Dakota State who protected uh, Trey Lance's blind side last year in 2019 as their left tackle, a really – Really athletic freak with checks all your measurables boxes, but an FCS competitor that's going to have some development to go in the NFL level. But in terms of size, athleticism, he, he's again another one of those guys that's sort of the opposite of Isaiah Wynn, right? He's six foot five, six foot six with great athleticism. He much more, he fits a mold that's a lot closer to somebody like Nate Solder than somebody like Isaiah Wynn. So, so maybe they could go that way. I mean, I, I don't like him in terms of his tape. I thought it was a little spotty, but Walker Little from Stanford, who hasn't played in a while, he's another one of those guys that's more of that third round developmental type of player that, you know, maybe they can get something out of in in year two, year three. But ultimately, we know that this is a good move for the Patriots to bring Trent Brown back, especially at this price with this trade compensation. They basically pick swapped it, you know, Trent Brown in the seventh for a fifth round pick. He restructures his deal to make it more affordable for the team. It's a win all around for New England. We're going to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props and almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive your 50% welcome 
welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Let, let's move on to the tags. And there's a ton of questions, I would say, about these tags. Mainly Kenny Galladay, Hunter Henry. Kenny Galladay did not get tagged. I, Alan Robinson and Chris Godwin are really the only two guys that did get tagged that are going to be that maybe we thought about it all coming to New England, right? Right. So Robinson, though, before we move on to the guys that didn't get tagged, Robinson, I wouldn't completely rule out just yet because he's not on. He is not happy with Chicago right now. He wants a long term deal. They haven't been able to reach that long term deal. He is definitely a candidate to me to get traded on the tag. And I wouldn't rule that out just yet for Bill Belichick. I wouldn't either. I, you know, I think it's going to depend on, I don't think that's their plan A. No. Because again, I've, I've talked about this before, you know, they need multiple pieces there. So maybe if, you know, Kenny Galladay slips through his fingers and then Juju slips through and, and Marvin Jones slips through and you're going down the line, then you go back and revisit that. I mean, you're using the 15th round pick likely to get Allen Robinson. He's better than anybody you're going to take at 15, but you're using the 15th round pick. If you had eyes on a quarterback, that goes out the window. Um, you know, it might take Stephon Gilmore. Like, like you're, you're sacrificing real high level assets in order to get him. And with so much other receiver talent out there on the market, yeah, none of, none of the players out there are Allen Robinson, but there's some very good players out there and you can use those assets to improve elsewhere on the roster where maybe you don't have as many options, right? At a position like linebacker, at a position like tight end, where really, again, it's it's just Hunter Henry, and that's kind of it. I know people like John Smith, Zach Ertz, but they're not at that level. So just given all the wide receiver talent out there, uh, I, I, I just think it's really tough to give up premium assets for a guy when you can get somebody who's very good without giving up any of those assets. Yeah, I understand that point. And I mentioned uh, Gall- Robinson, excuse me, and uh, Chris Godwin both got the tag. So they're kind of off the radar for now. The guys that didn't get the tag, though, you mentioned Kenny Galladay. He's going to now be the number one wide receiver that is going to pay for Mark. He's going to get over $20 million a year from somebody, I, I-, I believe. And the question really is, He's a great player. He's somebody that, you know, is going to be number one on my list when I, when I publish my wide receiver rankings in free agency tomorrow. The size, the ability to beat man coverage, the one-on-one ability on the outside, contested catches, you know, vertical threat, deep ball receiver, checks all those boxes, right? And, and is a right. really, really great player, but he's got the Matt Patricia thing. You know, he liked to tweet that was applauding <laughs> Matt Patricia's firing when he got fired. Albert Breer threw out that tweet today that said that he's probably not going to go to a spot that's similar to what he just dealt with with Matt Patricia in Detroit last year. So it doesn't sound like the Patriots would be in the mix for Kenny Galladay, but maybe that's not such a bad thing because I think that his market is going to be insane, which might drive down some of the markets of the guys behind him in free agency. Yeah. And I've talked about this before. I don't know that I want the $25 million a year wide receiver because the Patriots aren't one receiver away. If this was a couple of years ago and they had this cast space, it's another story, but they need options offensively. So, you know, if you're going to spend $25 million, go get a $15 million receiver and a $10 million receiver. I think even though the, the top flight talent, you're not necessarily getting there, the Patriots, and if they're going to go back to that traditional Patriots offense, like you mentioned before, 
they can do like like that works without an elite receiver as long as everybody's a threat to some extent. As long as you can make you make the defense cover all five options on the field. So, you know, if you just get Kenny Galladay and then run it back with the rest of the crew, you're, you're not doing that. You're just asking Kenny Galladay to basically constantly beat double coverage. Whereas if you go out and I'll, I'll use the names we like to use. Corey Davis, Curtis Samuel, Rashad Perryman, but again, these, you know, it's, it's pick and choose, you know, it's like right. the, the build your own sandwich thing, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, whatever, however you want to break it down, go out and get two or three guys, maybe Hunter Henry's the guy you pay, and then you go with two slightly cheaper receivers, but it's all about putting pieces together, it's not about collecting talent, it's about building a team, and that's how they need to approach it right now, paying $25 million for Kenny Galladay isn't the way they do that. Yeah, I agree 100%. And and I think that my main take with this wide receiver market, and I was texting to you about this a little bit yesterday, is that you look at the wide receivers that are going to hit free agency, a lot of these guys are those big, bigger-bodied outside targets, right? Uh, uh, Kenny Galladay. Right. Uh, Corey Davis, Tim Patrick is going to be a restricted free agent, Brashad Perryman, Sammy Watkins, you know, these guys are outside receivers. These are X receivers. These are not Z's. These are not slot guys. These are not space players that you're going to get big yak numbers out of and stuff like that. These are playmakers on the outside. Curtis Samuel is really the only guy that's that, you know, off the line kind of gadget type of receiver. But in the draft, there's a dozen of them. Right. I mean, the draft is so freaking deep at that specific spot from Jalen Waddell and Kadarius Tony at the top all the way on down to guys like Jalen Darden and, and, and the, the Moors at the end of the third round maybe could, could fall there because of their injuries and stuff. They, there's going to be nine or 10 guys, I think, going in the first two days of the draft that are those Tyreek Hill prototypes, right? Those, those smaller slot receivers that got tons of speed and tons of ability to create with the ball in their hands. That's that's the way that draft is unfolding, whereas the free agency market is the bigger guys, right? The contested catch guys, the outside the numbers guys. So if it was me, and the Patriots have had trouble scouting and developing that position, the out, big outside receiver, the Nikhil Harry, the Aaron Dobson, yeah. the Chad Jackson, that guy has not translated here. So if you ask me, the best thing to do would be to pay somebody that you already know is going to be productive in that role because you've seen it at the NFL level and go out and draft Amari Rogers, right? Go out and draft Jalen Darden. And maybe that's the guy that turns into the space player, the ball carrier, the guy that you can do different things with. That that's to when I look at the landscape of both free agency and the draft, that's the best path I think is that they should prioritize that X receiver, that outside the re- numbers receiver, and the guy that I'm I'm really pretty high on it being is Corey Davis at this point because the Patriots have had an affinity for guys that a have beaten them in the past and b yep. were high first round picks that they couldn't get in their respective drafts because they weren't picking in the top ten, right? So. Corey Davis checks both of those boxes. He's a guy that if they graded out highly in 2017, I definitely could see them really liking him in this free agent market. Maybe they strike out on Corey Davis, they go to Tim Patrick, and they sign Tim Patrick to an offer sheet and push Denver to match it, right? Maybe that's the route that they go in. Guys that play mostly in the slot, like a Juju, I, I like him as a player. I just don't know if the power slot is really a need for them, right? I, I don't know if that's necessarily the way that they need to go. I would love to just see them get 
faster, more speed, more explosiveness out of both of those roles. And I think that the draft for that Z slot role and the free agent market for that X role is the best way to go. Well, can I, can I add another, not just another guy, but like another prototype, right? You talked about that shifty, quick inside receiver and then the big outside receiver. Yeah. They could also go fast on the outside. And since, you know, Trent Brown's coming back, we talked about Kyle Van Noy last week. How about Brandon Cooks? How, oh. like, the, 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 there's, he's got a very manageable contract. Let me pull it up here. 12, 13, and 14 million dollar cap hits, which aren't nothing, but really are not that expensive. The Patriots can afford that. We know he works here. He's, you know, right, the last thousand yard wide receiver they had on the outside, right? The last thousand yard receiver they had that wasn't Julian Edelman. Yeah. We know he likes the culture. He made that comment during the Super Bowl about, well, if you don't like the Patriots, then you just don't like hard work. Right. And he's a good player. I think a lot of people get confused and think he's not a good player because he got concussed in the Super Bowl, which was unfortunate, but don't let that one play define the guy's whole career. And then he's kind of bounced around the league since. The problem is that the Saints couldn't pay him originally because they wanted to pay Michael Thomas. They couldn't pay him originally. They traded him to the Patriots. Patriots weren't going to pay him because they don't pay anybody, so they trade him to the Rams. The Rams signed him to this gross contract that, again, he's a good player, but he was never going to be worth that contract. So he gets traded around the league to teams who just kind of are willing to spend for a year to bolster their receiver core and give it a shot. Now that contract's kind of come back down to earth. It's more in line with, with his worth. And I think you can get him for next to nothing because the Texans are dumb. So, yeah. you know, go get him. I, I think he'd be a great fit if you put put speed on one side in terms of Brandon Cooks. If you put size on the other in terms of Corey Davis, you go out, you get one of those slot-type receivers in the draft. You have Jacoby Myers as kind of a wild card who can move between all three roles. And then you figure out the tight end. That's like a, a pretty good offense. Yeah, you know. That, that I, is, I mean, you still have to figure out the quarterback, but – you know, you have all the pieces as a pass catcher where you have a pretty decent offense there. Yeah, no, I, I really like it. And I, if they do go that route, then maybe that does open them up to somebody more like a Juju who is going to play mostly inside and be that I, – I called it a power slot. That's kind of what that mold is. Right, Juju, big slot, yeah. Godwin, you know, those types of guys are playing 70 80% of their snaps inside and kind of playing as almost like a detached tight end, essentially, in that role. Let's talk about the tight ends, though, because none of these tight ends got tagged, which I think was a little bit of a surprise to me because the tag number for tight ends is not very – very high. So Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith, neither one of those guys got tagged. They're both hitting the open market. Which one do you want? You know, because I think that it's a toss up because Hunter Henry is going to make more money. He also has the injury concerns. Jonu Smith is an ascending player, not a guy that has great production yet, but he has gone, his production has gone up every single year. His touchdown totals have gone up every single year. And he is screaming for a situation where you feed him the ball a little bit more and you unlock some more of that skill, especially after the catch. So, I think that's the question now is which one of those tight ends are you picking if you had your choice? Is that really a question? I think it's, it's Hunter a Henry. I think it's a question. Oh, no, it's not. It's Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry's a much better player. He's a, a true three-down tight end. He's a potential 1,000-yard receiver. He can block. He can impact a run game. He's, yards, though. He's, he's got 
600 and something was his career high. I think Johnny Smith is a player that I look at who's 24, 25 years old. He's got more versatility than Hunter Henry. He can do some of the inline blocking duties that Hunter Henry can do still. He's better after the catch than Hunter Henry is. I think there's definitely a conversation here to be had, especially when you weigh how much each of them is going to cost, right? Because Hunter Henry is going to be a couple million dollars more a year, especially some more guaranteed money up front than a guy like Johnny Smith who doesn't necessarily have the numbers yet to be garnering, you know, some big uh, gray area yeah. money numbers. So I, I think that you have to look at that position. And a lot of these guys, I think Travis Kelsey is kind of the, the the number one example. A lot of these guys at tight end, it takes until year three, year four, year five for them to really start producing and start taking off. And Johnny Smith has got he's only about 6'3", 6'4", but he's got great athletic traits, you know, great speed, great agility, uh, tested extremely well at the combine, you know, all that type of athleticism type of stuff. And now he's sort of starting to refine it all as a receiver out there. And it's going to, it's going to get unlocked by somebody I think here very, very shortly. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Like I like what Hunter Henry can do physically in terms of his, you know, six, six, yeah. Right. He's not a, a, as thick as, as John who is, but he's still more muscular. He, he's got the strength to him. I just, I like, especially because they're probably not going to have that true ace receiver, right? They might have a number one, but they're probably not going to end up with that ace Allen Robinson type receiver. Give me a tight, give me the tight end who's going to be the biggest matchup problem. I'll pay for Hunter Henry. I'll pay more for Hunter Henry, not just because he's good, but he's going to be more of a headache to the defense when it gets to game planning, I think, than Johnny Smith is. I know you can move Johnny Smith around, yeah, and I, like, I, you, I get that element of it. Up. Josh McDaniels going to have him in the backfield one play. He's going to have him in the slot the next play. Then he's got his hand in the dirt. But is he, Hunter Henry's not going to do that type of stuff. Here's the thing. I feel like you can use a linebacker, not every linebacker, but you can use a linebacker to cover Johnny Smith. I don't, like, some teams can. Maybe not every team has that linebacker, but there are linebackers in the league who can. I think with Hunter Henry, that's a much tougher task. I think you need the extra defensive back on the field to cover Hunter Henry. And if you can get teams into five or six defensive back sets, and then you have this massive offensive line like we talked about at the beginning, and Sony Michelle and Damian Harris who want to run downhill and crack skulls, you're really going to kind of put defenses in a tough spot between do we want the extra body out there for Hunter Henry or do we want the extra body in there to deal with this massive offensive line power run game? And Cam can become a part of that if he comes back. And having Cam as the big body in the backfield. So I like, again, the matchup maybe play to play. Jonu Smith is tougher, but the overall game plan matchup and the personnel matchup and the personnel mismatches that Hunter Henry gives you, like I look at that, especially now with this Trent Brown move and like you talked about the direction they seem to be heading in. And I get really excited by that. So that's, that, that's why no, I'm Hunter no, I, Henry. I understand where everybody's coming from with Hunter Henry. The thing that concerns me the most about Hunter Henry is the durability, right? Is he going to be able to stay healthy? He sure. hasn't stayed healthy. And maybe that's what we've talked about in the past. That might be the Chargers training staff. And that's been a disaster there in L.A. or San Diego, wherever they've been over the years. But I, he's had some injury concerns. And to me, Hunter Henry is your prototypical wide tight end, right? He's going to put his hand in the dirt. He's going to run option routes. He's going to run wide. wide my option was his number one route in L.A., right? Go up to the top of the route, break it off, whichever direction the defender is not in. It's the Jason Witten route, right? Jason Witten's probably going to make the Hall of Fame off of that one play. Gronk's route was the crosser or the over route behind the linebacker level or the seam, right? Hunter Henry right. is more of an option guy at the top of the route with his quickness. So I think if there's some, you know, translation there certainly into their their uh their offense with that role but Johnny Smith just 
the athleticism, the versatility just really speaks to me. It does. It, it's somebody that I think is going to be for Josh McDaniels. That's, that's someone that he can really scheme up. Whereas with Hunter Henry, you kind of need to alter and you kind of need to say, okay, this is going to be his role because this is what he does best. Right. You know, right. It, well, it's John- someone that you're going to break out the mold for. Sure. John o. Smith isn't a bad option. I just yeah. think they need talent and, and, you know, head to head, who's the more talented player. I think it's Hunter Henry. I'll add this. I get the durability concerns and I'm normally the first one mentioning that, right? I've been yeah. talking about it nonstop at Coopolo, but he, his games played over five years, 15, 14. He missed 2018 with the knee injury, but then 12 and 14. So he's missed spot games here and there, but he's played 12 games every year, but one. And he plays through injuries. He does. So he's not, you know, I see people call him soft. No, I think he's not soft. He's no, not his soft. injuries are more issues of no. circumstance. He's not a guy that's sitting out games he could probably play. If he can play, he's going to play. He just had that bad knee injury. And then I think he like broke his hand or something early in his career and he missed a couple games. But again, you know, I'll go, I'll go back to it. 15, 14, 12, 14. He's, he's on the field more often than not. The injury concern certainly valid. And if you want to take that into account, it, it's certainly worth taking into account. But I, it's not the point I'm where right I think it's the be all end all. It's not necessarily about the injuries themselves. I think with me and Hunter Henry, it's ha- have we already seen the best out of Hunter Henry or does he have another level, right? Does he have another level? I think Johnny Smith has another level. When well, you're I, talking I, about how it comes in year four and five, Hunter Henry only has a year on Johnny Smith. Right, but we have seen Hunter Henry, I think, at this point, he had, what, that that 600-plus yard season with a bunch of TDs. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I think we've seen Hunter Henry close to his peak. I don't know if we've seen Johnny Smith close to his peak, and as a team like the Patriots, I want players that are going up, right? I want want players that have already reached that level and are kind of doing what they do in their primes now. I want a player like Johnny Smith who's going to jump from 450 yards with the Titans last year to 800 with the Patriots. But see, they've had guys like that at the tight end position. Like Scott Chandler was like a rising star in Buffalo. Yeah. Right. Like they, they, they struggled with those up. He's just a first example. There's a couple more I can't think of, but like they, uh, so to counter that, I give me the guy who we know is going to be good. Hunter Henry might not get much better than he is right now, but he's a top 10, maybe top five tight end in the league right now. Like I'm fine. If if you get three years of a top 10 tight end, you take that, take that. Like maybe Smith's ceiling is higher, but are they going to be able to capitalize on it? Yeah, I, I think it's a great debate. You know, I think yeah. both these guys. And again, both are, both are good players. If they end up with either one, they did well. You know, because I saw people trashing me for not wanting Jonu Smith. I would take Jonu Smith. I'd rather have Hunter Henry, but they're both good players. Like, they, either yeah. one's a success. And and they're both different. So it's it's kind of your 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 taste, right? What what flavor do you want? Right. Vanilla, you know, which one do you want to go in? And I think well, that's that, the thing. I want to go back to, like, the I want Kronk. I want them to get – and he's not close to Kronk, but he's Hunter as close as they're going to get. So the thing about Gronk that I think a lot of people forget because we're used to this Gronk now. Do you remember how dynamic Gronk was in the open field? Like, well, yeah, no, they're not, they're not like, like Henry's not that, but I think right. he's as so, close to that as they're going to get. No, the closest thing that, that, that he has a lot of skills that are like that, right? You know, in terms right. of the blocking, in terms of the running the routes inside the formation, stuff like that. But with Hunter Henry, he doesn't have that yak ability, right? 
He doesn't have that yards after the catch skill. Johnny Smith definitely does. And, and that's something that I think gets me more excited about Johnny is I think of ways that Josh McDaniels can get him into space, right? And get him in with the ball in his hands and get him rolling. And that's certainly something that I think is, is really intriguing. I also want to talk about Dak Prescott. Not because of anything to do with the Patriots and Dak Prescott, but unfortunately, unfortunately, sorry, <laughs> I, I, we could have led with that if if today wasn't such a jam uh, yeah. Tuesday. The, the Cowboys did tag Dak, but it's a I guess a procedural thing because they weren't going to get the contract done or something like that in time and or signed or whatever. I don't know. I those things always confuse me. But in terms of Dak Prescott, what it does tell us is not that Dak Prescott's coming to New England, it's that the Cowboys are not on a quarterback at number 10, right? Yes. So now the number 10 pick to me has a huge for sale sign on it because the Cowboys need defense. They need defense in droves because they got offense. They got Dak, they got Zeke, they got Amari Cooper, they got plenty of offense. They need defense and the Patriots have the 15th pick in the draft. They also have Stephon Gilmore, right? And maybe they can pull a trade and move up to number 10 with Dallas because if they don't move up to number 10 in Dallas, I have a really strong feeling that somebody is going to move to number 10 for with Dallas and take their guy, you know? Well, who are you getting who are you getting at 10? Are you talking about Mac? I'm talking about Mac or Trey Love Lance. It. Love you know, it. I well, Trey Lance is all I've said this, he's off the board at 8. He's not getting past Carolina. So, that's why when you said 10, I I you know, I wasn't sure if you were thinking Lance was maybe going to slide or something. No, I, I think that the problem is, is that all five of those guys are going in the top 12 picks, right? I top think, that, no, I think top 12, but by the time San Francisco well, makes a pick, they'll, those five guys are going to be. Well, if you have Mac, so you have Mac Jones going 10th, somebody trading up for Mac Jones at 10, so who's he going ahead? Of, you think he's going ahead of Lance? No, I think all four of those, I think the, the first four guys are going in the top nine picks, right? I think Lance, right. Field, Lawrence, Wilson will be off the board by number nine with that Denver pick at number right. nine. That means that so you're saying um, Jones at ten or twelve. I get what you're saying. Yeah, okay. yeah, and I think that that number ten pick is going to end up be where, where being where Jones goes. But if you're not the team that trades up to it, then it's not going to be you. You know what I'm sure. saying, right? So yeah. either going to be the 49ers. I mean, there's a chance. I think that New Orleans or one of these teams that were in the playoffs recently that don't have the quarterback position figured out could jump all the way up like the Chiefs did to get Patrick Mahomes. You know, I think that there are a lot of scenarios there where that's going that that pick is going to be for sale. The Patriots have a very valuable asset to me if you look at Dallas and that Dallas needs secondary help. They need defense help first and foremost, but they specifically need corner help and secondary help. Stephon Gilmore is for sale right now from the Patriots. They have the 15th pick in the draft. If you trade 15 and Stephon Gilmore for 10, now you're not giving up another draft pick for as a rebuilding team to move up and you can get your quarterback. That's, I think, a scenario that we need to be talking about because there's no way now that Dallas is taking a quarterback with that pick. And I don't really think that Dallas needs to keep the pick because they can probably get the defensive player they want five picks later anyways. Right. Yeah, and, I, you know, there's not going to be a ton of defensive players that go at the beginning of this draft, and they're mostly going to be corners, right? If you're Dallas and you're sitting at 10, you're probably taking J.C. Horn, whose ceiling is Stephon Gilmore. Right. And you need to win now, so just advance the clock. Go get the ceiling. Go get Stephon Gilmore. If you move back to, to 15, now you can talk about, you know, some of these linebackers and Zayvon Collins and uh, maybe Quiddy Pay and, 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 and some of that. But it makes no sense if you're Dallas. I mean, assuming the Patriots offer this, right? If it's between drafting J.C. Horn at 10 
or taking Stephon Gilmore and moving back to 15, that's a no-brainer. It should be a no-brainer for Dallas. Now, I don't think Dallas that's in a win-now mode, right? right. Do you think it takes win-now? Do you think it takes Gilmore and 15 to get 10? Yes. I don't. I see. I think that's too much. You think that they, but they're not going to get, they're not going to get Gilm 10 for just for Gilmore. I mean, that's not going to happen. Right. But I think you can do that. Gilmore if they could get 10 for Gilmore, they would have already done the deal. You know that's what I mean? True. Like that, that's a trade that the Patriots make automatically. That's an automatic yes. So that's not going to happen. When my idea was by trading Gilmore and the 15th pick for 10 is that you now you're not giving up an extra pick to get. I get that. Okay. Right. So you're not giving up a future first. You're not giving up another second or third round pick. You're just giving up a player and your 15th pick that you were going to use anyway on somebody and moving up five spots to get Mac Jones, to get Trey Lance, to get whoever your guy is. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm all, I'm all, again, and I've said this before. Do I maybe, does that feel like a little bit of an overpay in the moment? Sure. But. If if they believe Mac Jones is the guy or they believe Trey Lance is the guy and he's the one there at 10, no price is too high. Nobody's going to bemoan, oh, they they didn't get enough for Stephon Gilmore when Mac Jones or Trey Lance is winning playoff games in Foxborough in January. So there's in the future, a lot, so. Right. There's a lot of chatter right now about Stephon Gilmore's trade value, and I undersold – I oversold, excuse me, his trade value a couple times already. It's not extremely high right now. There's concerns about the injury. There's concerns about the next contract he's going to want. Right. They're not getting a first round pick for him. You know, they're probably up there. I, I still think you could maybe like, I look at the Packers in 29 and like, I still look at that one and think that, that maybe if you throw in like a fifth round pick, that's maybe doable. Yeah. But you're not getting 10 for him. No, you're not getting 10 straight up. I don't know. I don't know if you're going to get an end of the first round pick. They're, Teams are definitely concerned about that knee. You know, you got a knee injury like that that you think is okay, but then it ends up not being okay. And right. you got a contract situation and a player that's over the age of 30 at a skill position, at a position that relies on speed and being able to run. You know, there's some concern there, I, I think. And, and there's definitely an element of teams that don't want to give up that first-round pick for him. So – you pair 15 and Gilmore together, maybe that gets you up to 10. Maybe you can take your quarterback there because as we're going across, we're just crossing quarterbacks off, Alex, left and right here. You know, right. Deshaun, uh, Dak Prescott's off the board. He's going back to Dallas. Russell Wilson's not coming here. Deshaun Watson's not coming here. You know, other Mac Jones or Trey Lance is probably your highest upside right now out of all the quarterbacks that you can possibly get your hands on. So the draft might be the move that they have to make. Yeah. And no, I, 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 unless they want to do, and some teams have done this, and it looks like it's what, you know, Detroit's doing right now, and, uh, Miami kinda did this. You draft and put together the rest of the team, and then next year, Kansas City did this too. Next year, you give up whatever draft picks it takes to move into the top three and get the quarterback you want, whether it's Sam Howell or Phil Dracovic, right? You use that 15th pick on a tackle. You, trade Stephon Gilmore for Michael Gallup and extend him. You use that next pick, you go out and get a linebacker, right? You just build up the rest of the roster. You, you find a bridge quarterback for this year. It is what it is. You go eight and eight. And the next year you trade three first round picks, you trade in the top three and you get the guy. Like that's the only other option right now. If you want to talk about quarterback upside, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And again, they shouldn't draft a quarterback this year if they don't believe in the guy. Don't draft a guy just to draft him and then handcuff yourself. Because let's say they take Mac Jones and they're lo- like, they're like, ah, oh, Mac Jones might be good, might not, but we'll take him because we need a quarterback. And then Mac Jones sucks, and you're in a position to draft Phil Dracovic next year, but you're handcuffed because you can't because you just took Mac. 
that's a tough sell. I mean, maybe you can do what Miami did or is trying to do with Tua, but there's no guarantee there. So if, if, if the guy's there, they should take him. They absolutely should take him. Yeah, I, I think we're both in agreement there. All right, let's get to some of these questions. Yep. If you have a question, we're going to take the last 15 minutes or so here to answer them. I wanted to pull up a question that I saw earlier that was uh, asked multiple times in the chat. Okay. And By I, the way, it, it, it's not personal if we don't get to your questions. It's just really throwing right. that out there. There's a lot of them. We try to get to as many as we can. Yeah, absolutely. Um let me just, I can't find it because I'm scrolling through like hundreds of comments here. Thank you all for, for watching and commenting. We really appreciate it. But the question was, would you, is it realistic, excuse me, to sign a Kenny Galladay and Hunter Henry both this offseason? Two high-priced free agents at their positions probably going to be at the top of the market. My answer is 100% realistic. Don't listen to the cap excuses if it doesn't happen, right? Because they can definitely make it work with the cap. But that's not how Bill Belichick typically builds a team, right? Going out there right. and paying two guys on an average annual basis of $30 million combined is not usually Bill's MO, but they do have the $63 million in space and they can structure the contracts, you know, very conservatively in the beginning to make sure it fits and they still have plenty of wiggle room to make other moves. So it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility. The question is just, do you want to go that route really? Right. And it it goes back to an asset management thing and and the rest of the roster, right? If the rest of the roster was great and they only needed pass catchers and they still somehow had the $60 million, then I think that's a much more serious conversation, but you still need help at linebacker. You still need help on the defensive line. You still need to find James White's replacement. You still need secondary pass catchers. It's just, you know, you're probably talking about close to, if not more than $40 million right there. And that's two-thirds of your cap space on two players when you have holes all over the roster. That just, it feels like a lot. It it really feels like a lot. Um you know, if you can keep them under four years, because you'd like to think if they do take, you know, Mac Jones or Trey Lance, there's going to be a quarterback extension coming in. So you have to keep the contracts under where that extension kicks in. It's doable. Like, like the math is there and it lines up and, and they can sign both those guys. I just, I don't, you know, you do that in Madden because you right. know it's going to work. There's no guarantee that works and you're putting all your eggs in a really small basket if you do that. So, it's just, it's, it's, they've got to be totally sure if they pull the trigger on that, that they have an offensive system in mind, that Josh McDaniels has an offensive system in mind and a quarterback they can get in place. They know they can get in place who can make that work. Cause if not, it's going to set them back. Yeah. And I, I also got some people saying that the Cowboys couldn't take on Stefan Gilmore because of his contract. Yeah. I'll figure it out. I just like, I want to go on a mini rant about this real quick. Okay. I think this is one of the most over-reported, over-discussed topics in the entire NFL media base is salary cap space and the ability to fit guys under the cap. It's bogus. It's bogus, people. I'm not calling Miguel Benzon and Pat's cap bogus. What I'm telling you is that Miguel does a great job of telling you how they make it happen. Right. But every single player that gets cut or every single player that gets traded and the team comes out and says, we didn't want to pay the, you know, we didn't have the cap space. We had to trade him because of cap space. No, you had to trade him because he didn't like the player at that number that you were paying him. Right. He was being overpaid for the production. 
not because you had to get the cap space. So there's a lot of creative ways to fit guys under the cap. The Dallas Cowboys use a voided structure deal with Dak Prescott. I don't like voided years because you have to worry about the dead cap hit penalties and stuff like that. But if the Dallas Cowboys' plan is to extend Dak Prescott before this contract expires, then it really doesn't matter that they tacked on those voided years. So the question really is, is does the team want the player bad enough to keep them? Because it's certainly not a salary cap issue. If the Dallas Cowboys traded for Stephon Gilmore today, they could then rework his contract and fit him under the cap just fine. You know, they could extend him. They could tack on some dummy years with an extension and stretch it out like they did with Dak's contract. They could give him a upfront signing bonus that could really get that's prorated over three or four years to make sure that the, the cap penalty is not big this year. There's so many different ways to manipulate the salary cap. Guys like Pat Scap, he does a great job of telling you all those different ways, but don't fall for the trap of they don't have enough cap space to do something or they don't have enough cap space to keep this player or re-sign this player because that's definitely never the case. The case is just, do you like the player at that number? And I'll add just as, as an example here, the Saints are $50 million over the cap. That's the most of any team, and they franchise tag somebody today. They were $15 million over before they yeah. franchised. I think it was Marcus Williams, right, a safety? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's doable. Can we do – somebody asked about uh Trey Hendrickson, I think, and just yeah. some of the defensive players maybe that didn't get tagged today because I have a take for you, Evan. Sure. Um, you know, because I, I was talking to Matt Dollar from 98.5. He's working on, you know, what kind of – the Patriots have all this cap – could they make a Stefan Gilmore type of move this year, right? When they signed Steph originally, it was a guy, he was a guy that, you know, a lot of people didn't see it coming. They had Malcolm Butler. They, they had just kind of a lot of good corners. People thought they were going to pay Malcolm Butler and they just kind of spent a lot of money in a position that wasn't necessarily one to need to get an elite, elite player. And obviously it worked out. So I look at the, the landscape this year and could they do another move like that? And a guy I look at again, not likely, but possible is Bud Dupree who some people thought might get tagged by the Steelers, and he didn't. Now, the Patriots, we've talked about this before. They need to kind of start thinking about life after Donta Hightower. And Bud Dupree's a guy who could come in, play next to Donta Hightower for a couple years, and then not replace him necessarily positionally because he's more of an outside linebacker, but he's a true three-down, game-impacting linebacker. And you'd have that at the outside spot instead of the middle spot but you still have that linchpin linebacker in your defense. Bud Dupree's only 28. He is coming off a torn ACL, which makes things tricky. But two years ago, he had 11 and a half sacks. So I'm talking about it as a big signing, but at the same time, maybe a buy low a little bit on a guy who is coming off a pretty serious injury. And if it works out, you're going to get a top 10 linebacker at a very good price. The other thing they could do, as I look at Bud Dupree, is maybe, you know, he tore his ACL. You don't want to go out and get the long-term deal this year for Bud Dupree because your market is low. They can offer him more money than he's probably worth just because they have so much cap space. Give him a competitive one-year offer. Say, come in here. We're going to make you look really good. We're going to let you prove your knees healthy. And then you can go out next year when everybody knows you're healthy and there's more cap space and you can really cash in. So he was the name I was watching. Again, it's not, you know, they have other needs. But there are, there is a little bit of a history there where Belichick could maybe pull off a signing like a guy like Bud Dupree. Yeah, and Bud Dupree plays the game in a Patriot type of manner. You oh, know, yeah. he's, he is fast off the edge, but he's more of a pocket collapser and a pocket, you know, he really pushes the pocket from the tackle position or over the tackle, I should say. And I do think, you know, 
in Pittsburgh, they like to get their their pin pin their ears back and rush the passer. So that's not necessarily their scheme. But I think that he's got the thickness and he's got the girth and the size to be able to set an edge, right? To be able to sit in a gap and, and sit outside and make sure that guys don't get outside of him. And he does have some athleticism. I think he fits definitely. The question is really going to be that price tag. And, and maybe that is somebody that ends up, you know, taking one of those one-year deals that we've talked about a decent amount that, you know, there's not a ton of cap space in the league. They're going to have some players that are going to sign one-year $9 million deals that are probably worth more than that and reset their market and move from there. The next question that I wanted to get to was something that you were texting me about this morning trying okay. to get me off. Oh, yes. Is this, did somebody ask it? A lot of people in the chat, Alex, talking about Aaron Jones. Yes. Coming to the Patriots. Yes. You just want to see the smoke come off my freaking head right now. I know you it. Got, you got me fired up with, with – with Kellen Mond last week, and it's the same thing. I don't think they should pay Aaron Jones $11 million a year. I don't think they should pay a running back that much. But it's an important role in the offense. They need a pass-catching running back. Again, like I mentioned with Bud Dupree, this is less realistic. Is there a chance Bill Belichick goes out and just pays for a really good player at a key role, even if it's not a spot he normally pays money? I, I said this to you. We were texting if they pay $11 million for Aaron Jones, when they have Damian Harris and Sony Michelle rostered, we could all be mad. It's a lot, you're allowed to be mad. I am going to be mad. I agree, no, I agree with you. There is absolutely no value there. None. The running back position is not a position you want to overpay for. I would never even draft a running back in the first round. I was disappointed when they did that to some degree with Sony Michelle. I thought I liked the player a lot, but at the time, especially, but I didn't like the asset management, right? That's a bad right. asset management. And we're seeing why right now. Aaron Jones pay, overpaying for that player for what? For what? So that he can catch 60 balls out of the backfield at average nine yards per, per catch? No. Absolutely no, I, not. I, I do agree with you. I, and this is where we disagree. The only way I sign Aaron Jones is if you get it in writing that Aaron Rodgers is going to follow okay, him here in a year. You can get me a contract in writing signed by Aaron Rodgers himself and signed by uh, whatever his fiance's name is as well. That uh, They're moving yeah. to Boston and Aaron Rodgers is playing for the Patriots next year. She and Whitley's well, going to sign it too. Then she's, she's an intellectual type, right? And Boston's, you know, got all the universities here. I, I, do they have a Harvard and Green Bay? I don't think so. That's Patriots Nation. That's what you need to do. Start wooing Shailene Woodley. Yeah, there you on go. On Twitter and see what happens. Because I think she's to. like pretty social media active. If she's in on coming to Boston and that lures Aaron Rodgers here by <laughs> signing his guy Aaron Jones, okay, fine. Maybe I can talk myself into it. Other than that, I'm all no, out. I, I'm I agree. All I was just I was just poking the bear when I was texting. I, somebody did bring up, and I asked this last week. I said I would like to get there. The you know. I would, I would bring yes. up. You know, James White, it sounds like, is on his way out. They do need a pass-catching running back. It is a very crucial role in the offense. Duke Johnson's a guy you're probably going to get him for, I don't know what, like $3, 4000000 million a year, somewhere in that range. Much more reasonable, a guy who has had success in the league before. I really liked him. He's a Miami guy, right, out of the University of Miami. I remember him. He was a good player in college. Um, that's more so the range. I do think signing a running back, a pass-catching running back, it's not a bad idea. You don't need to pay Aaron Jones $11 million, but somebody like a Duke Johnson, I actually think that would be a good signing. If they want to pay Duke Johnson 3 or $4 million to replace James White in the pass-catching role, because Duke Johnson in Cleveland, he's kind of, you know, 
bounced around since then and, and hasn't been yeah. as successful. But Duke Johnson in Cleveland was always among the league leaders in, in catches by running backs. He was kind of, uh, you know, going in that James White type of trajectory where he could be somebody like that. So, yeah, if you want to pay Duke Johnson a couple million bucks to come here, absolutely. Opinionated Matt, who said earlier that you don't like him, uh, is now saying that uh, Shean Whitley is going to get some Art museum, science. Yeah, send her, let her know. You know, let her know how great it is here. Send her yeah, pictures of the foliage. Uh, you know, send her a coupon for Crescent Ridge ice cream, town spa pizza. Get her some North End Italian food. Like, let's 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 start. Is she still Shailene Willie or is she gonna be Shailene Ro- uh, 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 Shailene Rogers? I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Let's start, let's start wooing the, the family. She's Virgin series, right? I, I, I think it's I, I had never heard of her until. She's like the until. other Jennifer Lawrence. I don't mean to be that, that basic. I, you, but I, I you're know. the celebrity guy. I don't know yeah. celebrities at all. Yeah, so, so maybe, yeah, go tell her that the Museum of Fine Arts here in Boston is one of the best. Uh, we got, we got a planes, trains, automobiles museum somewhere in here too. We got, uh, we got, you know, Freedom Trail type of stuff paul revere sam adams you know we got all the history we got tall ships you know aaron your girl's gonna be happy here uh how about this name going back to the real yes that's real talk though actually do that because then we can take credit when aaron Rodgers signs here exactly we'll say that it was the museums and it was all our idea right matthew udon's another name you mentioned bud dupree we're talking about maybe a little bit off you know lower tier player here probably one tier down the aquarium, that's another good one. Yeah. Thank you. All right. But, you know, uh, Charlie Baker was going to have all the fish at the aquarium vaccinated, but then he found out oh, they were educational, oh, so he put them at the bottom of the list. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. The aquarium. Yeah. Boston Aquarium, one of the best. New England Aquarium. Country. New England. Sorry. Whatever. It's in Boston. Anyways, uh, Matthew Hudon, I think yes. that's a nice player for them. It'd be a great signing. On their de- on the defense, the thing that Baltimore does that's a lot like what the Patriots do is they play out of multiple fronts and they have multiple blitz packages. A lot of guys dropping, some guys rushing. You know those amoeba fronts, those different style schemes that they run on third down. It's a it's not exactly the same scheme, but it's the same idea, the same principles of edge defenders that need to set the edge, that rush the passer in different types of schemes, and then obviously drop into coverage a little bit as well into space and the flats that's what Matthew Udon's been doing for Baltimore at a pretty high level for what you know four or five years going now so he's another player we get so many questions about Odell um Shaquille Griffin mentioned here in the chat any of those names uh so the thing with Shaquille Griffin for me is you go you go first actually you go first and he looks something up I, I feel like Corner is not a position they should be targeting because they can find guys to play. Not in free agency. In the draft, maybe. Yeah, not that's in, what yeah, I'm okay. talking about. You know, the yeah. draft, they, they, I have all the con- – and I know they've had their, their issues in the second round with those guys, but – Outside of the second round, they've done a really good job of getting guys here that, at that position and, and being able to develop guys. I mean, the so, UDFAs, J.C. Jackson, Jonathan Jones, Malcolm Butler, Craven LeBlanc, Kenny Moore, uh, Darius or it was Darius Butler draft pick. Darius Butler might have been a draft pick. Yeah, it was but, a draft pick. Yeah. No, it goes on and on. So, so my, my take on it is, and I, I, again, I talked about the Gilmore signing like historically and would they do that again? And I've mentioned in the past that, I think kind of what they'll do here with Gilmore on his way out is kind of like they did with Malcolm Butler when Akeem to, when Darrell Rivas left is string him along because he's a number one corner, but he's not like an ace, right? So you have JC Jacks on this restricted deal. Then you can tag him 
you string him along until you can get that next elite corner, that next Stephon Gilmore on the open market. This year's cornerback market isn't great. Next year, and we'll see what happens with extensions and franchise tags and all of that, Marshawn Lattimore, G.R. Alexander, nice. these these there guys could be free agents next year. Years hitting the open market, I promise you that. Look, and maybe those guys aren't, but top to bottom, next yeah. year's cornerback class looks to be a lot better than this one. So do you want to spend that money this year, and the next year you get an actual ace corner on the market, and all of a sudden you can't pay him because, you know, Griffin's not a bad corner, but is he those guys I just named? Is he of that caliber? Is he an ace number one corner? No. So I I wouldn't spend big money at the cornerback position until there's a guy worth spending it on. I yeah. think if you're paying Griffin, you're just you're, you're spending just to spend at that point. Yeah. So I want to end on this point because uh, we do have to sign off here. I've been told, Mike Giardi's been told, Mike Reese has been told, all of us have been told that Bill Belichick has a big old bag of money for whichever wide receiver will take it on March 17th, right? And I just do not – I don't know who it's going to be yet. I don't know if it's going to be Kenny Galladay. You know, I don't know if it's going to be the top of the very top of the market. But somebody, when we wake up on March 17th, is going to get a bag from New England at that position. I I really feel strongly about that. So I think what we're really talking about now is who is it going to be and, you know, what point – can they get that guy in here, right? You know, is it going to have to be, can they get a Corey Davis? Because I think Corey Davis is one of those players that if you call him the morning free agency, the legal and tampering window opens on March 15th, you call Corey Davis his agent and you say, we're giving you $17 million a year, you're going to get the deal done, regardless of who's right. playing quarterback for you, right. right? Curtis Samuel, if you call him and you, you say, we're going to give you $12.5 million a year, nobody else is going to pay you more than nine, deal done. Right. You know, that those are the types of players that I would look at. I think Kenny Galladay might have too many suitors. I think Hunter Henry might have too many suitors where you're in a bidding war with all options on the table and some guys have quarterbacks, some guys don't, you know, and you're getting into some situations where you might have to struggle. Yeah, they're going to have to overpay guys for some of these guys. All right. They're not going to get some of these receivers. They don't have Tom Brady anymore. Right. You're not going to get four million dollar right. discounts from Curtis Samuel. So, yes, you're going to have to overpay for somebody. You have the space. That's, I think, what's going to end up happening. So if you're looking for that big move, that big sticker shock, you know, you mentioned some cornerbacks and stuff like that. I really, truly believe it's going to be a wide receiver. It's a long time coming that they've actually paid somebody at that position in free agency and get that spot figured out and not take chances on an Antonio Brown or a Josh Gordon or someone like that. So it really comes down to who will take it. But I'm just saying, I think that we're going to wake up just like we did with Stephon Gilmore in free agency a few years ago and see a really big, fat contract handed out to a wide receiver by the Patriots. So I guess my question, and you heard this, like was the phrasing specifically wide receiver? Is there any chance that report refers to Hunter Henry? The people that I talked to said specifically that they're interested in wide receivers. They internally believe a little bit in Devin Asiasi, right? They think that he can be at least a viable NFL player, right? We're not talking about Gronk or something like that, but he can be at least being a good NFL tight end. So I actually would think that if they go the free agent route at, at tight end, maybe they go after somebody like a Gerald Everett, you know, and, and pay or or uh, Kyle Rudolph or someone Robert like Tanya. right of that ilk, but 
ultimately, I actually think they might dra- uh, dip back into the draft at that spot on day two. Uh, somebody like a Brevin Jordan or a Tommy Tremble or a Hunter Long from BC and develop them alongside Devin Asiasi and, and kind of work both of those guys in and sort of who, who rises to the top, right? You know, get right. a couple of developmental guys that have, you know, high quality uh, traits to them and whoever ends up being the best out of them is the guy that plays the most. Yeah, I, again, I've this to this point, my assumption has been if they gave somebody the bag, it was going to be Hunter Henry, just because of you know Bill's known about him since high school and it's a less deep position and all of that. I'm not disagreeing with what you said. I just yeah. you know I'm now readjusting my I think line they're more of confident in themselves of drafting and developing. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. No, so, that, 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 I that think that's where sense. that comes from. Maybe some of it is sort of like educated guesses that you look at that and we can all kind of look at it and say, okay, like they're definitely going to have more success developing and drafting a tight end and identifying a tight end based off their history than a wide receiver. But ultimately I think they want to get somebody paid at that position because they know that that's going to make their team a lot better. They have the offensive line figured out. They need to get some guys to throw the football to. Then they'll figure out the quarterback position from there. And and we could be talking in a couple of months. You know, you got to hope that you're talking about a much improved team on offense. You know, that that's the right. goal. At well, least. it's gonna. Here's the thing. It's gonna come down to the quarterback ultimately. Okay. If yeah. they if they write whoever brought up the the Galladay and Hunter Henry, you know, both of them point. If you sign both of those guys, but you have Jared Sidham throwing them the football, you didn't really get that much better. Because at the end of the day, it is the NFL. It is football. The quarterback's going to – you're only going to go as far as your quarterback takes you. So, yeah. you know, they need to get the pieces, and they are doing it a little bit backwards here, you know, where they're going to end up getting a quarterback to fit the offense instead of building an offense to fit the quarterback. But, you know, that that's what it's going to come down to. Whoever they add. If they don't bring in at least a, you know, a quarterback who has hope for the future, maybe it's not immediately, but a guy who in eight months or, or, or a year, like Mac Jones or Trey Lance, you have some kind of hope. Uh, if they don't do that, you know, then it, it, it becomes a really tough conversation of, yeah, they did all this, but so we'll see. Then again, I, I, I do think I still believe, and I almost, I almost went the whole show without saying it, Evan. I almost went the whole show without the saying it. Of the show. How could you not say it? We got I still believe. And them being aggressive. I I'm still believe, you, like you said, trading up to 10 and getting Mac or Trey Lance. I still, I still believe in them being aggressive. So they're going to be aggressive at wide receiver. They're going to trade it. up for your quarterback. But I think ultimately you mentioned making the, you know, the positions around them, filling those out before the quarterback is a little bit backwards. I think that they're looking at it like we're building a Patriot offense, right? Sure. And we know what yeah. the Patriot offense wants to be. So what we need is to get players of that ilk, of that skill set, right? And maybe they feel like that's a Curtis Samuel. Maybe they feel like that's a Corey Davis or a Will Fuller or a Juju or whoever they end up paying, right? doesn't matter because they know that they're going to get a Jimmy G or a Mac Jones in here, and they're going to be a Patriot offense. And I think that ultimately they that's the sort of model. And they know that, okay, it doesn't have to necessarily be a Cam offense. It doesn't have to be a Trey Lance offense. It doesn't have to be something different. We're going to go – with the same sort of system, with the same sort of players, and just make sure that we upgrade the players that at those specific spots. So that that does it for today's show. That was a long one. It needed to be, so that's okay. On Thursday, we'll be back with another live Q&A. So bring all your questions back to us on Thursday, and we'll answer all of them then. But until then, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, guys.